Welcome to Dream, Declare, Deliver with your host, Chris Garrell. Join us each week as we explore how to live a life by design by applying the tools and techniques of emotional intelligence and personal transformation. Here's Chris. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Dream, Declare, Deliver. Um, I'm your host, Chris Garrell, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, my book that just uh, came out. It's called Learning to Feel. Ta-da. Um, Learning to Feel is a book on emotional intelligence, and it's kind of a mixture between my own personal journey uh, and and some some good foundational psychology of of how emotions happen and and how they act inside of us. Um, you know, one of the things that that I draw on is is the fact that you know I've studied emotions all my life. I've studied psychology all my life. It's it's who I am or what I am. And, and, you know, Joseph Campbell said something funny about religion one time. He said that, um, that the greatest way to ensure that you won't have a spiritual experience is to study religion ahead of time. (laughs) So in the same way is the greatest way to ensure that I don't really fully experience emotions is for me to have studied emotions so much. So I know all about emotions. I can tell you all about their definitions and things like that, but have I actually really felt them fully? When I run workshops, um, I often ask people, how many emotions have you really fully experienced. You can say like, I got the full length and breadth and and depth of this emotion. And most of the time, uh, the average in a group of people comes out to be around five or six. Now, there are hundreds and hundreds. Um, I have one lexicon that I refer to sometimes. It has over 500 different emotion words um, that are distinct from one another uh, that, you know, some are similar, but they're, they're different. You know, and most of us can only come up with um, five or six emotions that we fully experienced. And even when I challenge people to write a whole list, as many as they can, a lot of people tap out at about 30 or 40 words, um, emotion words. Um, so, again, we don't have a great emotional vocabulary. We don't have a lot of experience with emotions. So learning to feel is really a book about how do I identify what's going on inside of me? Because here's the thing about emotions. We are emotional beings. There's no way around it. Um, you know, Brené Brown uh, says in her book, uh, The Atlas of the Heart, she says, let's be clear, emotions are driving the bus. You know, thinking and action are not in the front seat riding shotgun with emotions. They're hogtied in the trunk. Emotions are clearly in charge. We are emotional beings. And and so, you know, it's it's important for us to understand what emotions do and what they're for and how they're made. So emotions don't just sort of happen. They, you know, they're not just like, ooh, I felt this or you made me feel such and so. What happens is there's, there's a thought or a belief that happens right before the emotion occurs that we're not aware of most often. We're, we're not there thinking of that. You know, when a loud bang goes off and we feel a startle, you know, our, our emotion is, you know, fear or startle or, or something like that. We don't. We're not aware of the fact that we just heard a loud noise. Our brain said, well, that might be an explosion that could hurt me. I need to jump out of harm's way. You know, it has those thoughts, but they happen at such a high speed that, you know, we just hear the sound and feel the emotion and and they happen right on top of each other. So we're constantly reacting to 
what I call the interpretation of what's going on. Now, we never really, for certain, see the full reality. You know, what we see is our perception of reality. We think that we see with our eyes because there's this image in front of me that I see when I'm talking to you or when I'm looking at my Zoom lens right now. Um, I see an image and it looks like it's out there. But really what's happening is my brain is interpreting those data you know, that are coming in through my sensors, my eyes, and they're through my ears. So I have a stereo sense of where you are in front of me. But that's all being done inside of our brain. You know, so we see with our brain, we hear with our brain, we taste with our brain, we touch with our brain. You know, these things here, these sensors are just data collectors. They're, they're sensory, um, collectors that give information, data to the brain so that the brain can make sense out of our world. So also inside that meaning making structure inside of our head is all of the past experiences that we've encountered throughout our entire life, you know, so no matter how old you are, you have a whole array of things that you've experienced already that forms the foundation of our meaning making. And the way the brain makes sense out of things is this is like that. So when, let's say when you're learning new mathematics or in another way to do something um, that you've not learned before, your brain says, oh, this is like arithmetic only we're now substituting letters for numbers. And so it makes sense out of it by saying, you know, comparing it to what it knows. We do the same thing when we have an emotional reaction. It's always going to that database of experiences and then projecting into the situation or the next moment or the future what might happen based on our experience. You know, so we we would do well for ourselves to learn how, how we create these emotions, how these happen inside of us, because what they point to is not the emotion. You know, we don't want to get hung up on just feeling feelings for feeling's sake. You know, what we want to be doing is using that emotion as the doorway into understanding what is inside of us as the stored memory and the beliefs and the thoughts that we have that are causing our reactions to these situations. And how that happens is there's an experience that we had, and then there's an interpretation that our mind made of that. Now, the experience that happened is history. It's, it's there. It's, you know, like whether it was a good experience or a bad experience, whatever it was, that's just something that happened. You know, the interpretation we have on that is filled with emotion, abstraction, um, meaning making and things like that. So that lives in our memory. This stuff here is, you know, often overshadowed by what our interpretation is. So we're walking around, we're an interpretation machine, you know, and things happen to us and we make it mean something that causes an emotional reaction. I'll give you an example. I have several friends um, who live on the island of, of Maui um, and lived at one, you know, recently up until just last week in the city of Lahaina. Um, they don't live there anymore. Uh, they are fending for their lives. Um, you know, one friend lost everything, his cars, his house, his business. Um, and, you know, what's interesting, he's out on the streets helping other people. 
um, you know, because that's who he is. And, and, and I have, you know, other friends who, who lived in the same area. Um, again, you know, they're, they're dealing with it as best they can. So I see that happening and I make meaning out of that. And I say, this guy or this gal is doing X, Y, and Z. They're, you know, they're serving their community. They're serving other people. That's, that's who I know them as. And, and of course, that's what's there. But, you know, they're also feeling trauma. <laughs> they're also in a situation that is way beyond any human experience. You know, none of us has woken up, you know, from a colorful environment to find it entirely black and white. You know, and that's what Lahaina looks like today. It looks like black and white. It's all charred. Everything is is just rubble and dust. And and so we look at that and we feel compassion. You know, we look at that and we feel, you know, shame, guilt, survivor's guilt that we aren't there on the streets with our friends um, helping out, uh, you know, bucket brigades, doing whatever we can to help people survive and make ends meet. Um, we, we feel compassion. We feel sadness. We, you know, there's all kinds of different reactions. You know, some people want to blame whoever set there, however the fire got started. You know, some people want to, you know, blame environmental change or, or global warming or, you know, like whatever it is, we all have that reaction, some kind of reaction to the situation because it, it's something that's right in front of our face and that we react to. So, you know, so having an emotional reaction is an important thing to have, but it's really important to dig into why am I having that reaction? If, for example, I feel compassion, what that means is that I, I am, you know, feeling love and, and the pain of the people that I love, like, you know, who are in that situation. And, I can only feel compassion because I know what it feels like to feel my kind of pain, the things that I've experienced in my life. Uh, and so compassion is one of those things where the, you know, the calm part of the passion is that we also feel and we know that feeling and we can identify with it. When we're giving help or counsel to people in, in Maui, um, it's important for us not to say, I know how you feel. You know, what it's important to say is, I'm here, I'm with you, you know, because the one thing that that trauma does to us is it makes us not want to feel. It makes us want to close down, curl up in a ball and hide until it's all over because it's way outside of our, not not even our comfort zone, it's way outside of our capacity to cope with it. And so we want to be able to provide help and support to our friends who are going through this trauma. But at the same time, you can't sit there and say, you know, there, there, this will all pass. You know, it'll all be better soon. You know, um, it, it, that's that, that, that patronizing kind of response is not compassionate. Compassion says, I know how it feels to hurt. And I know what I need most when I hurt is somebody to be sitting right beside me so that I don't feel like I'm the only one feeling this. The intensity of trauma is so great that the mind thinks nobody else could possibly understand what I'm going through right now. You know, it's, it's that intense, you know, we, it's outside of our frame of reference. So it must be outside the frame of reference of everybody else. 
And so, you know, our minds think, you know, I'm the only one going through this. I'm the only one who's having this kind of reaction. I see my friends out on the street helping each other, you know, and I think they're doing much better than I am. And so everything collapses in. It's important for us to recognize that and just to be able to sit with that and say, you know, if you have a friend in, in Maui, call them, call them and say, hey, just want you to talk. Don't have to do anything about it. I'm just here to listen, you know, and I want you to know you're not alone. I'm here. I'll always be here. I'll take your call at three o'clock in the morning. If that's what time it is, I, I don't care. You can call me anytime I'm here for you. And then just shut up and listen because that's what's needed. You know, in, in trauma, what's needed is companionship. Um, you know, other, the touch uh, and, and the, the presence of other people, uh, because we do feel so alone in that. That's an extreme example of an emotional reaction, you know, because the interpretation that's going on inside the person who's feeling this trauma is nobody else is feeling this. I'm the only one who's, who's having this difficulty dealing with the situation. I feel hopeless. I feel helpless. It's making all bunches and bunches and bunches of interpretations based on the, the, the sheer fact that it's never been in that situation. And it's not like anything it has in its memory files. So it's outside the bounds of meaningfulness. It, it, does not make sense. It doesn't compute. And so the system goes into overload. The whole, you know, biological, um, endocrinological, uh, and, and the whole autonomic nervous system goes into overload because it, 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 there's, there's no reference point. It's pure, pure unknown. And so, um, that's kind of what's going on in that. Then I only bring up that extreme example just because you know it's it's something that's present to all of us uh today um just as flooding is you know happening uh, my my daughters both live in vermont and um and both of them are dealing still with the aftermath of the floods that happened in in uh vermont um, both in the state capital and um you know east or west of there in in um along the Winooski River, uh, where there was just massive flooding. And and people are just still in shock. They're shaking. You know, they don't know how to do it. And and both of them, you know, provide first-line relief for that. So there's trauma everywhere around us. And it's important for us to know what's going on so that we can know how we can be with that person uh, in, in support. Um, I don't go into trauma in in learning to feel i really talk more about how we can understand our own um thoughts and beliefs systems and so that we know how we're behaving and what we're doing i wonder have you ever had the experience for example of saying why did i do that why did i just do that that's not who i am i you know i just did something that's counter to my values or i just did something that's that's not me you know, and yet what we find is that that's a reaction and it's most often an emotionally triggered reaction. You know, the emotions are in the driver's seat, as, as Brené Brown says, you know, um, it's an emotional reaction uh, to some situation inside of us that we haven't unearthed. The whole impetus for the book, uh, Learning to Feel, was that I found myself doing something 
And when my wife asked me, why did you do that? I said, I don't know. You know, she said, well, that's not possible. Why do you not know? I said, I, you know, like, I don't know why I did that. That doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to you. Um, and I went on this quest to find out what's at the core what's at the bottom at source of my own behaviors, you know, that something I could decide I would, I would actually do in a reaction was not something that was, you know, um, integral and integrated into, you know, who I am as a person and, and what my beliefs are, um, or at least the, the stated beliefs that my cognitive mind, my, my cerebral cortex mind, um, has as it. But there are these values and these beliefs that are deeply embedded in us from our childhood. Things that we made as interpretations when we were just little kids that still act as programming. For example, you know, you may have, uh, I was, um, an unwanted little kid. I was a geeky, weird, overweight, you know, chubby kid with husky expando pants and, and things like that, you know, broken glasses with the tape in the middle and, and, and all of that and never picked on any teams or anything like that until I, you know, grew into my body and as a, as a high schooler. But as a kid, I made the interpretation of that, that I'm not worthy. I'm not, I'm not worthy of friendship. I'm not worthy of being picked on a team. I'm not, you know, like all of those kinds of things. Now I grew out of that and I went into, you know, my, my teens and, you know, got active in athletics and, you know, was a, you know, varsity tackle and a, a you know, varsity wrestler and like all that kind of stuff. Went into college, got degrees, you know, and on and on and on. Long forgotten in the back of my head. Still sitting there is a little five-year-old kid who doesn't feel worthy. So sometimes my reactions are out of, I don't, I'm not worthy. You know, when I know cognitively, I know that I'm worthy. I know that I'm valued. I know that I'm loved. I know that I'm respected in my profession, but there's still a part of me. There's sometimes when that little kid gets tapped. In, in whatever the situation is that my mind is interpreting that is somewhat similar to where that little kid lived, that thing pops in. That belief pops in, I'm not worthy. And they do something out of neediness. I do something out of wanting to be liked, you know, and, um, and, and I don't need to do that, you know, but the five-year-old did. You know, so what it is when we have an emotional reaction, especially one that's, you know, kind of discontinuous, I'd say, to what we're normally feeling. You know, when we have that kind of an emotional reaction, we say, you know, all right, what's behind that? What's the thought? What's the belief that's in there that's causing this reaction? Because that's old stuff. That's really, you know, kind of old things, you know, rotting in the cupboard somewhere back there. And so when I'm able to get to that point of discovery of, wow, that came from my worthiness thing, you know, that was just a coping mechanism that as a five-year-old boy, I made up, you know, and it served me probably as a way of coping with my situation as a little kid, but it doesn't serve me as a man, as a grown-up, as a, as a mature person. And so I get to reinterpret the event. You know, if the interpretation was just a story that my five-year-old kid's brain made up, well, 
I can reinterpret that same situation. Situation was I didn't get picked on the team. You know, I made up. I'm not worthy. But I can make up a different story now. I'm an adult. <laughs> I go like, oh, I didn't get picked on the team. They probably wanted somebody who could run faster because they wanted to win the game. You know, doesn't mean anything about me. It means more about what they wanted and what they were doing and trying to compete and win than it has to do with me. You know, it has nothing to do with my worth. I am worthy. I am wonderful. I am, I, I am a child of God. I am loved. You know, I am a great father and a grandfather and a husband and all of those wonderful things. And I am worthy of all that. You know, that interpretation doesn't serve me anymore. So I make up a new interpretation that says, oh, well, they picked another kid because they needed somebody speedy on the bases. You know, that's simple as that. You know, they just wanted to win. It had nothing to do with me. It had to do with them. And so we can go back when we, when we unlock these beliefs and thoughts that are in our heads through understanding our emotions and the fact that, the, that, that there's that system in place that causes emotions. You know, we're not stuck with the emotion anymore. We're not stuck dwelling on the emotion saying, why do I feel down or why am I feeling this way? Um, we're able to unlock it and say, all right, what's going on? What was the story made up that's causing that reaction? And then it can reinterpret the situation, get different, you know, I'm not talking about flights of fantasy or, or breaking from reality. I'm talking about what's a different grown-up version of that situation that I can interpret it as. And in doing that, I'm freed from that that self beat up. I'm freed from that need to be wanted and that neediness that just nobody wants that around. You know, it just doesn't feel good to be around a needy person. Um, and, and so we're able to deal with it that way. Now I say all that now, and I go back to the trauma situation in Maui and, and talking to friends um, who are on the Island. I am not ever going to say that to them right now that they're in an interpretation of a devastating, you know, horrific event, traumatic event, that would be the most uncaring thing that I can possibly do. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about doing is understanding that they are in a traumatic situation, that they are feeling trauma, and that I can sit with them and be present to them in that situation, you know. They're going to come away from it at some point with an interpretation, maybe good, maybe bad, maybe serving them, maybe doesn't serve them. That's later on down the pike and maybe somewhere down there we can deal with it. You know, I worked uh, one time with a, with a veteran who um, was in a transformation program and had a severe reaction uh, to something that was said and that flashed him back into his, his, he called it his monster, you know, inside. And it just took him to the side. And I said, tell me the story. Tell me the story. He said, you don't want to know. And I said, I do. I want to listen to it. And I just had him tell me the story and then tell it again, you know. And at some point, when you're telling the story over and over again, in retrospect, it becomes a story. We can do that therapeutically later on. You can't do that in the moment. In the moment, they're in survivor mode. You know, in the moment that man was in a battle situation um, in Afghanistan or Iraq or some place in the, the Far East or Middle East, and he was in survival mode and all he could do was get out and all he could do was survive. And the way he said it is he went in with five men and four men came out. One of them died and that was him. 
You know, he felt his soul had died, that he had lost a part of who he was. And so we just talked that through and talked that through until he could gain some perspective again on, on the fact that he's not there. You know, we can't do that when they're live in the situation, when they're in a battle situation, you know, we're ducking for cover too. You know, when people are in Lahaina and they're, they're sifting through the dust and the rubble to try to find any remnants of their own lives or even, you know, I, I watched this heartbreaking, um, clip of the, the, police chief from Lahaina saying, you know, to the reporters, please don't walk in this area. There are body parts in there. And all it is is ashes. And we're trying to identify through DNA who these people are, you know, and when you walk on that, that's what you're walking on. You're walking on people, our neighbors and our friends. Don't do that, you know. And so they're in that level of survival right now. When a chief of police is is in tears, talking to reporters, telling them not to walk in sacred ground. You know, he's not fantasizing anything. He's not, uh, you know, out of touch with reality. He's dealing with a very deep reality. And so we get to respect that, you know, when people are in trauma, you know. So there are two different things here that I wanted to talk about. One was, you know, how do we learn what feelings are and how we can use them and and how they can, you know, teach us or bring us to an awareness of what's going on inside of us. And the other thing was it's, it's juxtaposed against a background of tragedy that we're experiencing as a nation, as people, as friends. Um, and we need to be cognizant of, you know, and sensitive to the actual emotional reaction that people are going through when they feel totally hopeless in their current situation. So thank you for listening. Um, uh, you know, I hope, uh, you know, you get a chance to get out to Amazon um, or Barnes and Noble and pick up a copy of Learning to Feel. It's available also on Kindle. Um, and um, the reports from people who are reading it from the critics have just been stellar. I'm just I'm, I'm so flattered by what people are saying about the book. And I hope you get some benefit from it. Um, I hope it makes a difference uh, for you and for hundreds and hundreds of uh, other people. Because that's my goal in writing is to provide information and provide background so that people can, you know, live the life that they were born to live, live the life of their dreams. Um, so whether it's Typhoon Honey, which is, you know, making it through uh, these trauma reactions and, and severe uh, crises, um, you know, the subtitle on, on Typhoon Honey was the only way out is through. Uh, ain't no other way. <laughs> you got to go through it. You got to go through it. Um, and, and learning to feel is just really a journey, um, partly personal journey of mine to go back and, and reconnect with the heart and the core of emotions so that I better understand who I am and how I'm reacting. And so that, you know, it's kind of a blazing the trail so that other people can do the same thing too. So again, it's learning to feel available on Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, Kindle, um, everywhere you can find it <laughs> so um pass the word around enjoy it uh, i hope you get a chance to read it and thank you for listening to um, dream declare deliver talk to you next time Bye.